Warning, content not suitable for children. Listener discretion advised, yo. Hey everybody, welcome to the Screaming Chewy Show, yeah! Hey everyone, just want to take a quick second and mention this podcast I've been listening to. Shout out to the Normal Guys Show. You guys, check them out. Now it's four guys, four normal guys, and um, you know, talking about some interesting topics and um, talking shit. Yes, lots of fuckery within each other, and it's fucking hilarious. Check them out, the Normal Guys Show. Hey everyone, you ready for a crazy ass freaking story involving a shootout with a cult in the Texas federal government? Uh huh. Not just any cult, I'm talking about the Branch Davidians. Yeah. 1993, they had a 51 day standoff between them and the federal agents. That ended when the group's compound near Waco, Texas was destroyed in a fire. Nearly 80 people were killed. Yeah, you ready for this? Alright, but how, well, how about we start this episode off with a with a freaking song, yo. Yeah, you guys have been giving me some good feedback. People love the music. So, I'm going to keep it going, yo. Yeah. Song is called Order Is Lost by Catalysk.
Now, a word from our sponsors. Hey everyone, did you guys enjoy that song? Fuck yeah, me too. Badass, huh? And um, more to come, just stick around. And um, I think that that song, the title of it matched this episode really well. You know, out of order. Because shit got out of fucking control, yo. There's a crazy ass story. Yeah. A group of cultists versus the federal government in Texas, yo. In Texas. Lots of freaking guns and bullets involved. You know it. So, let's start from the beginning. For those of you that missed the introduction, let me fill you in. Just so that we're all on the same page, right? The Waco siege began in early 1993 when a government raid on a compound near Waco, Texas led to a 51-day standoff between federal agents and members of a millennial Christian sect called the, the Branch Davidians. The siege ended dramatically on April 19, 1993 when fires consumed the compound leaving some 75 people dead including 25 children not the children so i know what you guys are thinking those cultists they're fucking crazy yo well yeah they came from from christians i'm not talking shit about christians but just religion in general think about it what's the difference between a cult and a religion So thinking about it, well, get this, the cult's leader is still alive, yo, and the religions, the religions, their leader is dead. That's the only freaking difference, yo. So yeah, they're all freaking crazy if you ask me. (laughs) 
Anywho, let's get back on track here, all right? On February 28, 1993, some 80 agents from the U.S. Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, the 18 fucking F, raided a religious compound at Mount Carmel near Waco, Texas. After receiving reports that the Branch Davidians and their leader, David Koresh, were violating federal firearms regulations. Now who the fuck snitched, yo? What's going on here? So now, I don't know if you ask me, if they were doing so much fucked up shit, that's all they had on them? Just firearms? Fucking shit? What the fuck? Maybe that was the only excuse they had to get a warrant, right? Well, we'll find out. We'll find out. So, after four ATF agents and six Davidians were killed in the gun battle that followed, a ceasefire was arranged and nearly 900 law enforcement officials eventually surrounded the compound, including hostage negotiators and rescue teams from the Federal Bureau of Investigation, FBI. Shit's getting fucking crazy, yo. Reporters soon arrived on the scene as well, and the 51-day siege that followed would play out on TV screens and in newspaper headlines around the world. Despite some early negotiation successes, the Davidians sent out about two, do- two dozen children out in exchange for food and other supplies. Numerous children remain amongst those inside, many of them Korish's children with various women. Sounds like some fucking devil reject shit if you ask me. Fucking crazy, right? But let's back up a little bit, right? Morty starting at the intense part. How the fuck did he get there? And who the fuck are these Branch Davidians? Well, let me fill you in. Here's a little history lesson, right? The Branch Davidians. In the 1930s, a disgruntled member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church named Victor Haltif had broken away and founded the Davidian movement. After Haltif's death, Ben Roden led an offshoot of the moment known as the Branch Davidians. Movement, my bad, the moment, fucking dumbass. Who took control of Haltif's original settlement at Mount Carmel near Waco by 1962. <clears throat> but believing the Bible is literally the word of God, the Branch Davidians looked to it for clues about the end of the world and Christ's second coming as told in the book of Revelation. Roden died in 1978, leaving his wife, Lois, as head prophetess of the sect in 1981. A 22-year-old convert, convert named Vermon Wayne Howell arrived at Mount Carmel. He became involved with Lewis Roden, and after her death, clashed with her son George over control. In a gun battle in the late 1987, George Roden was shot in the head and chest and Howell and seven followers went on trial for attempted murder. The seven other men were acquitted and Howell's case ended in a mistrial. By 1990, 
having asserted control over the Branch Davidians, Howell legally changed his name to David Korish. Korish is the Hebrew translation of Cyrus, the ancient Persian king who conquered Babylon, allowed the Jews to return to Israel. This motherfucker's crazy, yo. Now listen. Of course, again, I don't mean to talk shit about religion, but if you ask me, the Bible is all made up. It's all stories, you know, like I'm sure you've heard me explain about Zeitgeist movie, how they explain, um, you know, the stories from the three kings. <clears throat> yeah, it came from the stars because back in the day, people used to worship the stars. They had no television and shit, you know, all they had was stories, you know. So, they fucking made all these stories using the stars. If you look at the sky um, towards the winter time, you see, you'll see these three stars that line up Orion's belt. Now, towards the winter, they start lining up and they point at an angle. They point down about 45 degree angle to a bright star. And on December 25th, that morning... If you look at the night before, those three stars, Orion's belt, they point to the bright star. That bright star points where the sun rises that morning. The sun, right? Back in the day, people worshipped the sun. Think about that. But if you don't believe me, go to zeitgeistmovie.com. It'll tell you all about it. But hey, if you don't, it's cool. Believe what you want. But all I'm saying is these motherfuckers were ra- were waiting for Jesus' second coming in um, <clears throat> the book of Revelations. For those of you who are not familiar with that, when Jesus comes back to the earth <laughs> in the book of Revelations, I don't know if you know, but that's when the world fucking ends. When the rapture happens, so all the good people disappear and they transport to heaven. All the sinners stay here in hell. And then hell comes on earth. All the demons come out and fucking rip you apart, torture you and fucking kill you. The worst possible ways you can imagine. While that's happening, Jesus comes back in a blood-soaked robe with a fucking spear or sword or some shit on a fucking horse. And he's riding around fucking chopping heads off and killing sinners and shit that are left on this earth. Yeah. <laughs> That's what Korish was waiting for, him and his cult. Just so you know, just so we're, so we're on the same page, all right? So, anywho, let's get back. Korish and the FBI and his negotiations with the FBI during the Waco siege. Korish claimed he was a messianic figure prophesied in the Bible and that God had given, given him his surname he threatened violence against those who would attack him and his family but asserted that the Davidians weren't planning a mass suicide you know like the other cult that drank the fucking Kool-Aid with cyanide and they all died yeah (laughs) to the branch Davidians Korish was the lamb the only one according to the book of revelations worthy of unlocking the seven seals revealing to the world the entirety of the Bible's teachings. This identification allowed Korish to justify some of his 
controversial even with the sect practices including taking various spiritual wives quote unquote some reportedly as young as 11 years old yeah that sounds like a christian <laughs> give him some jesus milk good doing good my child you're doing good <laughs> as time wore on the negotiators and the hostage rescue team which handled all the tactical maneuvers disagreed on how to handle the siege the latter team frustrated by the slow pace of negotiations employed aggressive tactics like playing ear splitting music or crushing the davidians cars disrupting often delicate negotiation efforts I wonder what type of ear splitting music they're playing. Like fucking Justin Bieber or some shit. <laughs> and if they didn't, maybe they should have played Justin Bieber, you know? They're like, we give up. We give up. Just stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Fire engulfs Waco compound. Oh, shit. In mid-April, after religious scholars reached out to Korsh through a radio discussion of the teachings of Revelation, Korsh sent a message through his lawyer announcing he had received word from God and was writing his message on the seven seals he would come out with his followers when he was finished. The FBI, unconvinced, decided to act to end the siege, though initially reluctant Attorney General Janet Reno ended up approving a plan to fire CS gas, a form of tear gas, into the Mount Carmel compound to try and force out the Davidians. After 6 a.m. on April 19, 1993, FBI agents used two specifically equipped tanks to penetrate the compound and deposit some 400 containers of gas inside. Soon after the attack ended, around 12 p.m., several fires simultaneously broke out around the compound and gunfire was heard inside. Safety concerns prevented firefighters from entering Mount Carmel immediately and the flames spread quickly and engulfed the property. Though nine Davidians were able to escape, investigators later found 76 bodies inside the compound including 25 children. Some of them, including Korish, had fatal gunshot wounds, suggesting suicide or murder-suicide. That motherfucker, I thought he said he wasn't gonna commit a mass suicide. Fucking liar. Anywho, legacy of the Waco siege. From the beginning, the government's handling of the Waco siege, which played out in the national and international media, was heavily criticized Reno took responsibility for the botched raid, later admitting there was no evidence ongoing child abuse within the compound, which had been one of the justifications for ordering the gas attack. Yeah, did you guys hear that? Let me repeat that, okay? Later admitting there was no evidence of ongoing child abuse within the compound which had been one of the justifications for ordering the gas attack. So yeah, the fucking FBI, yo. Supposedly there was 
reports of child abuse and that's who gave them the warrant or authority to fucking raid them and yeah what the fuck yo so yeah government lying just to fucking get in and cost some shit maybe <clears throat> so I don't know man who's the bad guy here right even though that guy was fucking crazy but hey who's to say God wasn't talking to him you know what I mean I, I'm just thinking crazy here but when somebody says God talks to him whether you believe in God or not everybody's like oh this bullshit he's crazy like how do you know he didn't talk to God What you know what I mean like God wouldn't make him do that. God wouldn't make him kill people. Like, why not? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, a car fucking smashes somebody with a truck and kills them. And they're like, oh, it's just, you know, God works in mysterious ways. You know, it was supposed to happen. So God used that truck as a tool to kill that person. And it's okay. But when God uses other people as a tool to kill somebody when it's their time, it's not right. Right? It's not true. God wouldn't do that. I don't know. Anywho, I'm just thinking crazy here. Though the government long maintained that its actions played no role in starting the fires at the Waco compound in 1999, it was revealed that some of the gas the FBI used was flammable under certain conditions. Reno subsequently appointed the lawyer and former Senator John Danforth to lead an investigation into the siege's end. In 2000, he concluded that government agents did not start the fires or shoot at the compound. Despite this conclusion, resentment lingered about the government's handling of the situation, which partially fueled the growth of homegrown militias in the United States. The Waco siege and the 1992 Ruby Ridge incident in Idaho are often cited by government critics as examples of overreach and intrusion by federal officials. Fuck yeah, they abused their power, yo. Duh. In April 1995, on the second anniversary of the Waco siege's end, a militant named Timothy McVeigh used a truck loaded with 4,800 pounds of fuel oil and aluminum nitrate to attack the Alfred P. Murrow Federal Building in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, with a total of 168 people killed and some 850 wounded. The Oklahoma City bombing was by far the deadliest ter terrorist attack in the United States to that date. So there you have it, folks. Who the fuck was wrong? Who the fuck was right? I don't know. Maybe they're both wrong, right? Maybe we could meet in the middle. But yeah, that was some crazy fucking shit, yo. Hey, you. Yeah, you over there. Do you like paranormal stuff? You like abandoned places? You like to like go check out some historical stuff? Maybe you like food. Maybe you like good music. I don't like Black Flag or maybe Black Sabbath. Well, we do too. So come check us out at Punk Rock Explorers Podcast. That's Punk Rock Explorers Podcast. Peace.
song. Hey, I know what you're thinking. Chewy, that was fucking crazy, yo. And you're going to end it like that right away? I want more. Well, you heard me mention the Ruby Ridge. Let's talk about that, yo. You want? You wondering what the fuck that is? All right, all right. I got you. I got you. Ruby Ridge was the location of a violent 11-day standoff in remote boundary country, county, Idaho, beginning on August 21st, 1992. U.S. Marshals and federal agents faced off against Randy Weaver, his wife and five children, and his friend Kevin Harris. The Ruby Ridge incident was the culmination of years of investigation into Weaver by local authorities, the FBI, and ATF, and the Secret Service. It ended with the shooting deaths of a U.S. Marshal, Weaver's wife, Vicky, and their teenage son, Samuel, Sammy. Randy Weaver was a college dropout and a former Green Beret. He and his wife, Vicky, were religious fundamentalists again. Great. This is going to end well. <laughs> anyway, just fuck it, you guys. Who distrusted the government and believed the end of the world was imminent. Oh, big surprise, right? They started hoarding guns and made plans to move to a secluded area and live off the grid. Survivalists, yo. In 1984, Randy, Vicky, and their children moved into a cabin they'd built themselves overlooking Ruby Creek in Idaho by choice. They had no electricity or running water. <clears throat> After receiving information that Weaver had threatened President Ronald Reagan and other government officials, the FBI and the Secret Service opened an investigation no charges were filed, but investigators documented that Weaver had ties to the Aryan Nation. Yeah, what the fuck, huh? Weaver died, denied the claim. In 1989, undercover ATF agents claimed Weaver sold them illegal sawed-off shotguns and offered him the chance to become an informant on the Aryan Nation when Weaver refused he was in, indicted for making and keeping illegal weapons after being released on bail his trial was set for february 1991 but his probation officer told him it wasn't until march 20th weaver missed the february trial and warrant was issued for his arrest again the fucking government lying yo to get people right the March 20th trial came and went without an appearance from Weaver and a grand jury indicted him for failing to appear at trial. Attempts to negotiate with Weaver over the next year via mail failed and he remained at large. The U.S. Marshal Service was responsible for bringing in the now fugitive Weaver. Given Weaver's weapons, arsenal, and anti-government stance, they determined he wouldn't give up peacefully. They planned a covert takedown to gather intelligence, survey the terrain, and the Weaver family, and hopefully, eventually arrest Weaver. Surveillance began, 
and the Weaver family became, became more and more isolated. Vicki Weaver gave birth to a baby girl at home and cared for her family as best as she could under difficult circumstances. Surveillance teams noted Weavers were almost always armed and decided to settle in for the long haul. They planned to infiltrate the tight family unit with the help of a male and female undercover deputy posing as the Weaver's newest neighbors. Hello, neighbor. But the deputies never got the chance. Deputy Marshal Dave Hunt and Deputy Marshal Art Roderick knew the rugged terrain sound surrounding Weaver's property well and led the undercover team, which included Marshal Williams, Billy Deegan. On the morning of August 21st, 1992, as the team prepared to gather intelligence for the day, the Weaver's dog became aware of their presence. The dogs, Sammy Weaver, Randy Weaver, and Kevin Harris gave chase as the surveillance team scattered. A firefight ensued, leaving 14-year-old Sammy Weaver, Marshall Deegan, and one of the Weaver's dogs dead. They fucking killed the dog, yo? Oh hell no. That's fucked up, man. <sighs> Government killing the dog. That reminds me of like, yeah, I'm going off topic a little bit here. But it reminds me of a fucking Dave Chappelle episode. You guys remember that? When uh, they posed two scenarios, right? I can't remember the first one. It was when the cops raid a house and it's white people. And they're all like nice and shit. Like, oh, sorry. I don't remember exactly what happened. But what I do remember <laughs> was when they bust in and raid the house. When it's a black family. They just bust in the door. They're like, shut the fuck up. And they fucking shoot the dog in the fucking head like right away. <laughs> That's exactly what I picture here, yo. Do not kill the dog, man. Anywho, who shot first and who shot whom would later be hotly debated by all surviving parties in the courts and in the media. But the carnage wasn't over yet. As the Weaver family holed up in their cabin, grieving Sammy and planning their next steps, Deputy Hunt called for help. Desperate to get Marshal Deegan's body off the mountain and end the standoff. On August 22nd, the FBI, under the impression they were entering an active, unprovoking firefight against U.S. Marshals, arrived on Ruby Ridge as hundreds of law enforcement officers and federal agents surged into the area with the unusual orders to shoot any armed adult on sight. FBI snipers set up a perimeter, hoping to force Weaver to negotiate. Weaver had none of it, however, and ignored all negotiation attempts, including pleas from his sister after heading to the nearby shed where they brought Sammy's body earlier. Weaver and Harris, along with Weaver's 16-year-old daughter, Sarah, trailing behind, were shot at by the FBI sniper, Long Hariochi, who thought the men were about to fire on a helicopter. Uh-huh, right. Weaver was hit, and he, Sarah, and Harris headed back to the apartment, or the parents' safety, of the house. 
As the men approached the house, Vicky stood behind in the front door holding her infant daughter. Oh no, no, don't tell me it's gonna happen. Horiochi, the sniper, fired again, hitting Vicky in the face and killing her. The fuck, yo? So this lady is not armed. She's holding a fucking baby, yo. And the fucking FBI sniper shoots her in the fucking face while she's holding a baby. Good job, America. <laughs> the bullet also seriously injured Harris. Yeah, the baby. Horiochi later claimed he didn't know Vicky was in the doorway and had his sights on Harris. Yeah, bullshit, right? You hit somebody directly in the face and like, oh, I, I didn't mean to do that. And you're a trained sniper. Yeah. Chaos ensued as Harris, Weaver, and his surviving family took cover in the cabin. I don't know about you, yo, but it's fucking on. If that was me, you know what I mean? Like, okay, let, let's analyze this so far, right? This fucking guy was a survivalist. Okay, he's weird and thinking about the apocalypse and shit. You know, like, okay, it's kind of weird. But he's not hurting nobody, yo. He's in a fucking cabin with no technology, no... You know, he's living off the fucking grid. He's on his own with his own family. They're not hurting nobody. His fucking probation officer lies to him and says his Kate, his uh, court date is in a later date. So he misses the court case because of the fucking uh, probation officer lied, you know? So because of that shit, there's a warrant out for him. The fucking government, FBI and shit, you know, they're doing recon work. They get busted by the dog and kids. They fucking blast his son and the fucking dog, yo. Then they leave. This fucking poor guy has to drag his son's body inside and put it in the shed, okay? The fucking government comes back with more people, with fucking snipers. Now they blast his fucking wife in the face while she's holding the baby. She dies. The baby gets hurt. What the fuck, yo? Are you kidding me? Anywho, my bad. I, shit like that just pisses me off. So. Chaos ensued. Oh, wait. Where the fuck am I, dude? <laughs> my bad, guys. I kind of got lost. Okay, okay. I'm back. So, with both Harris and Weaver wounded and Vicky and Sammy dead, the situation was grim. It seemed to confirm that Weaver's darkness, darkest suspicions about the federal government and the imminent apocalypse, yet Weaver wouldn't give up. Outside the cabin, hundreds of protesters arrived to oppose the government's actions and grew increasingly agitated when they learned of the deaths of Sammy and Vicky. After being approached by the FBI to record a message to Weaver encouraging him to surrender, Special Forces soldier Bo Gritz arrived on the scene, confident he could peacefully end the botched standoff. On August 30th, Gritz convinced Weaver to give up the critically injured Harris and allow Vicky's body to be removed from the cabin. 
but Weaver and his surviving family, including his baby daughter, remained inside. Yeah, fuck that. I wouldn't trust him either. With time running out before federal agents ended the siege and once and for all, Gritz went to the cabin again the morning of August 31st. Although Weaver had vowed to die before giving himself up, Gritz convinced him otherwise and escorted Weaver and his terrified daughters out of the cabin. Weaver was immediately arrested and his daughters handed over to relatives. The long siege of Ruby Ridge was finally over. Despite being charged with murder, conspiracy and other crimes, Weaver was only convicted of failing to appear for trial on his original weapons charge. Harris was cleared of all charges. A Department of Justice task force report found many faults with how federal agents handled the Ruby Ridge situation, such as the rule change that allowed snipers to shoot any armed adult on site without warning to surrender was unconstitutional. Horiochi, the fucking sniper they shot the, the wife in the face, was unjustified in firing the shot that killed Vicky Weaver since Weaver and Harris were in the retreat when he fired. Horiuchi placed Vicky Weaver and her children at risk by targeting the cabin door without knowing who was behind it. At least one FBI agent, E. Michael Caho, participated in a cover-up about Ruby Ridge. He pled guilty to obstruction of justice and was sentenced to 18 months in prison and $4,000 fine after admitting to destroying a report that condemned the FBI's response during the standoff. 18 months? That's a fucking slap in the hand, yo. If me and you fucking destroyed evidence, yeah, we'd be locked up for a long time. So, Lon Horiochi, the sniper. In 1997, FBI sniper Lon Horiochi was charged with manslaughter for killing Vicki Weaver. Fuck yeah. A judge dismissed the case. What? However, claiming federal agents could not be charged for actions taken in the line of duty. In 2001, ruling was overturned, but no further criminal charges were filed against Horiochi. Yeah, so pretty much if you're a government agent, um, you can get away with murder, basically. Um, the U.S. government paid a high financial price for its role at Ruby Ridge. In 1995, Randy Weaver and his three daughters were awarded $3.1 million for the tragic loss of Sammy and Vicky. Hey, what about the dog, man? What the fuck? <laughs> Anywho, in 2000, Harris was awarded... 380000 by the government in return for his dropping a $10 million lawsuit against him. The government never admitted any wrongdoing in Harris's case. Yeah, go figure, right? You think the government's gonna fucking apologize? Anywho, that's the scoop, guys. That's the fucking story. Two fucked up stories of a raid siege gone wrong. Now, yeah, 
let me know what you think all right maybe you guys have another side of the story maybe you guys know a little bit more than i do right so go ahead and message me yo send me an email at screamingchewy at gmail.com or at my facebook page screaming chewy she at my youtube i don't give a fuck but you know what i'm gonna cut this episode a little bit short but i'm gonna give you another freaking song yo yeah you like that you ready Another song by Catalyst. This song is called Indoctrination.
Hey, did you enjoy the music that I featured on this episode? Well, that band is named Catalysk. K-A-T-A-L-Y-S-K. Go like their Facebook page. That way you could message them, know when they tour, where they tour, when they have new music out. Good band. And um, I'd like to thank Catalysk and all you other bands that are collaborating and allow me to play your music. Fucking love that metal, yo. So, yeah. Thanks, guys. Check out Catalyst. Thanks for listening. Later. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. And if you'd like to support this podcast, you can find me at anchor.fm slash screamingchewygmail.com. There'll be three options for a monthly subscription. First one, I believe, starts at a dollar a month, yo. Yeah, dollar a month. Yeah, and if you don't want to, that's cool. You can follow me on Facebook and YouTube, Screaming Chewy Show, for some memes, some more videos for episodes, and behind-the-scenes kind of deal, right? You can follow me on Twitter, uh, Screaming Chewy. Yeah, not Screaming Chewy Show. I should probably change it. But it's just Screaming Chewy. And uh, thanks for listening. Peace.